0: This is Linux Unplugged, episode 21 for December 31st, 2013. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux podcast that's popping a beer cap like it's a bottle of champagne. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey, Matt. Here we are on the precipice of 2014, and our crystal balls have been shined once again. We are joined by our virtual lug, our mumble room. They're going to throw in some predictions. Plus, we just did a big batch of predictions, a huge episode, almost like an hour, 50-minute episode on Sunday of the Linux Action Show, where we threw down our predictions for 2014, and then immediately... One of the reasons we actually created this show is because we get off air, and then I go, oh, crap. Oh, I, I should have mentioned X. I should have mentioned Y. So there's, <laughs> I got a few more predictions we got to get to. Plus, there's been a couple of things that happened this week that uh, also kind of just clicked and said, oh, man, this is actually going to play out big in 2014. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that. Plus, CES, CES is moments away, and we have reason to believe that uh, a couple of things that we're going to talk about today in our predictions will bear fruit in CES just a couple of weeks away. So I'm looking forward. It's going to be a good way to end the year. It's our last episode of 2013. So I think it's going to be a good one, Matt. Definitely. All right. So uh, before we get to all of that, before we get to all of our crazy crystal ball rubbing, I want to follow up with a couple of things that were sent into the show. There was so much email to go through. I tried to kind of boil it down to just a few topics because we we recorded two episodes last week. So it's actually been a couple of weeks or one week since we sat down. And, uh, so there was a lot to get through, but I, I tried to boil it down to just a few things of follow-up. So to start with, uh, I wanted to read the email that Zach sent in because in last episode, we talked a lot about the Chromecast and in that conversation, XBMC came up, but I think it deserves uh, a little extra attention here. And so did Zach. So here I says, Hey guys, just wanted to respond to the Chromecast XBMC talk. I use XBMC all the time and I would love to see XBMC rise to the same popularity as Chromecast and Plex." The only real problem with XBMC right now is the lack of out-of-box functionality. Now, do you think do you think Chromecast and Plex are already more popular than XBMC, Matt? Here's a simple rule to follow when in
1: doubt with these things, and this is a rule I live by and usually cheeses people off, but it's pretty accurate for the most part. If something's easy to use, it's going to rise to the top. Yeah. Not because it's better. That's interpretative. But because people perceive it as easier to use and perceive it to be better. Plex being a great example of that yeah. and Chromecast. Personally, I've been playing with the Chromecast, and I do have thoughts on that. Oh, really? Yeah. uh, As far as like you know, because I think uh, like XBMC and Chromecast are completely different animals doing Mm -hmm. completely different things, Mm -hmm. but um, they definitely uh, share different levels of difficulty or and or ease of use, depending on how you look at it. But yeah, XBMC I think is awesome as uh, Debian is awesome. Um, That doesn't mean you're going to get grandma to use it without some support there.
0: Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think part of the killer problem that plex solved was um that roku front end because you can buy a roku that even if at the end of the day plex doesn't work out for you and and the family and or whoever else has to use the tv the the roku still does a ton of other things um so you're not totally married to one solution whereas if you go xbmc you got to build a pc you got to set all that up you got to hook that up to your or maybe a raspberry pi if you're geeky but again regular consumers aren't going to do that right um whereas plex is is not quite consumer level but it's getting pretty close Where you could have somebody that ships a free, like you could have an IX systems that ships a free NAS box with Plex pre-installed and says, automatically streams to your Roku. And they could just put that on the box and essentially the consumer would only have to do is start up Plex on the Roku.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and I still believe, honestly, Raspberry Pi is the right kind of storage attached to it. Slap a sticker on it. It's, you know, Billy Bob's yeah. media box.
0: Yeah. Plug it in. You're done. Yeah. I think there's a market Sell for, that. for 60 bucks. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so he goes on to say, as things are, XBMC can do a lot of things, but such, fun- sucks- sucks. such functionality requires researching how to do it and downloading the corresponding add-ons, which usually aren't listed in the default add-ons. If XBMC would provide a more complete and prettier add-on manager, they would have a way better off. Than they are right now. New users won't want to connect to XBMC Hub to get legally questionable add-ons. Uh, the add-on system is a little awkward. Like we have, there's a Jupyter Broadcasting app in XBMC for, ro- uh, geez, See, it's, it's confusing to even talk about. There's it an is, app yeah. for XBMC for Jupyter Broadcasting, but you got to dig for it a little bit.
1: Exactly, and as far as you know, people not being willing to dig for something that's legally questionable—that's um, not entirely accurate. But I would say that p- it depends how hard or easy it is to get to. Because if you, a, g- a good homework assignment for everybody in the audience is to go to the cord cutters uh, subreddit, oh, yeah, re- and you're going to find people that barely know how to work their Blu-ray players running Plex. Yeah, I mean these folks are brand new to the stuff, so I think that there's absolutely. Uh, and, and, of course, they have no problem how they get their media as long as they don't feel like they're going to get pinched on it. Well,
0: and here's the other thing so. he points out is he says XBMC would do better off if they could have uh, official plugins from like Hulu and Netflix, right? And I would think that would give them a real advantage, yeah. Because, again, I go back to the Roku and Plex. With Plex, I get all of my local content, and it's such a great setup, plus the library is centralized. So if I have multiple Rokus, they're all sharing the same Exactly. Metadata, the same you know, watch played status, the resume locations are all shared amongst all of the Roku's. Roku's great because it's tiny, it's silent, it runs Linux, it's cheap-ish. Um, and, and, and then I can hit the home button and I can launch the Netflix app. And well, that's a the huge fact deal. of the
1: matter is, yeah, you can get a you can get a, an entry level Roku for thirty nine bucks. You can go up to ninety nine or up and higher if you want to. But I mean, you out of out of the gate, you can walk into it very comfortably. I think for like it's an LT for thirty nine bucks, and that's quite reasonable. And it comes with a remote. There's something to be said to that.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. And the Roku three comes with a really cool remote with a oh, yeah. with a headphone connection, mm-hmm. uh, which is great for uh, late night TV. Uh, and so that said, um, you know, I was just thinking about the. Uh, the new studio that we'll be building in early 2014, or rebuilding, I guess you could put it. And one of the things I'm going to have in there is TV service for clips for Unfilter. And I was thinking about how I'm going to be ingesting that media and how I'll be displaying it. And one of the things that did cross my mind was, you know, maybe a TV with all of the clips on there with XBMC sitting in front of that, and then I could sit down a right. TV and process all the clips on the TV using XBMC. I don't. I'm still working. That's through, interesting. It made it, you know there's there's so many. It's almost, you know, you almost put it really well when you said you can look at it like Debian because as Debian can be used for a base, XBMC can be used for a base for, uh, That's right. you know, display systems, for uh, billboards, for all, you know, home home entertainment, all kinds of things. So, XBMC totally has a place. That's right. I like it a lot. And it just depends on what use case. But, you know, as far as, like, spouse approval factor, and really, I mean, to be, to be totally frank... um, you know, my four year old son and my uh, two year old daughter can use the Roku, right? And right. they can't really use XBMC. And that well, really yeah. is kind of a big deal. Well, my we
1: used to, um, we have a hacked uh, Apple TV that we used to run XBMC on. And, it – the spouse wasn't exactly enthused with it. Uh, she, she used it. She tolerated it. It was fine. Plex, on the other hand, there's there's no comparison. So I think I think you really nailed it. Once you actually introduce non-geeks into the situation who, who are not on pedestals chirping the same old chirpy stuff and actually looking at it factually, Plex – really is the, the easier choice and, even and, it's, it,
0: and it's great even yeah. though it's a little uglier than xbmc like especially on the roku it's uh, oh it's horribly
1: ugly on a roku yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hideous yeah but it's really really sexy in the uh on the android app or even on the on the uh when you run it in your browser It looks really great there mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah the roku app needs
0: a dire dire addri- needs to be addressed in i a think that might be a limitation of the roku sdk yeah. or something but yeah it's it might be yeah yeah all right. Well, we got a, a a correction that came in from Mike uh, from episode twenty, so two weeks back. He said, "Hey, unpluggers, at the beginning of episode twenty, uh, the topic of licensing Ubuntu packages for the Mint project came up. He said no one could think of an example of any projects that rebuilt the source, but that is wrong. The Trisquel project often purges non-free packages from Ubuntu repos and then rebuilds some of those packages and de-blobs them. These mi- these are mirrored, and corrected packages are hosted on the f, f- the FSF mirror." For Triscal to use. Just wanted to let you know. Thanks, guys. Now, Mike, one of the things that was different, uh, uh, and Popey made this point when he was on the show last week, or two weeks ago, was that um, Mint is pointing at Ubuntu repos, So they're using Ubuntu servers, Ubuntu bandwidth, Mm -hmm. Ubuntu packages. They're not taking the packages, rebuilding them all, sent to us, or Triscal style, and hosting them on their own servers.
1: So an analogy would be – so one, one group of people would be like hotlinking to an image where another group of people might be saving the image to their desktop and then right. using it on their own servers. That would be
0: the difference there. So I guess – what, and what Canonical is saying is, hey, you want a hotlink, you need to have a license, I guess. right, I, I, right. Uh, You're I,
1: incurring cost to us.
0: Not, uh, to me, it doesn't seem – it didn't yeah. seem like a huge deal to Clem. It doesn't seem like a huge deal to me, but we'll, it's something we'll yeah. keep an eye on. Yeah. Uh, okay, one last bit of feedback before we uh, get into the balls here. This one came in from James. And uh, he had some thoughts on the topic of Ubuntu as a rolling distro, which keeps coming up. And Mark recently, uh, in an interview, suggested that maybe after 1504, you might see something a little more like a rolling release from Ubuntu. So this has got people thinking, and James is one of them. He says, hey, guys, Happy New Year. I heard you talking about a a number of times about the perceived issue with Ubuntu because you can't always get the latest stuff. Well, I was a 15-year Slackware veteran until I changed to Ubuntu in 2008. I tested and continue to test other distros, but I still use Ubuntu because I think it's time for Linux to just work, and I find that Ubuntu gives me that. And also, I want to build up an experience to support others. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. However, I do want the latest packages, so I have run the dev version since 11.10 was released. Canonical has a policy that the dev versions work every day, and it does. I get one failure each cycle when the X server is updated, and I have to upgrade my NVIDIA driver, but that's it. (laughs) It works flawlessly. It means I get the new stuff, and then when the new distro is released, I already have experience if people need help. If I upgrade as soon as the new repo is available, which means I'm on production releases for only about one to two weeks at the start of each cycle, Ubuntu works great as a rolling release. So what James is saying Hmm. is my trick essentially is, is... I run the production version for a couple of weeks, and then once it's back up and they're working on the beta version again, I I just upgrade my repos and I run the beta version. And I was, I was going to ask the mumble room, does anybody in here ever do that with their distro where you run the stable version for maybe a couple of weeks and then you jump to the beta version?
2: Yeah, I am running CrunchBang and I immediately... Um, went into Jesse because um, the, the stable of Debian didn't have everything I wanted. And then I launched into Sid and I'm still experimenting to see how it's going to go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I did this myself for a period of time with the Ubuntu's um, where uh, I would run the stable version for a few weeks and then I would just go, switch. I, I For a while, what I would do is I would wait till after the first beta release. That's what I, So it was more than a few weeks. I'd wait till after Beta 1 was out for a couple of days, and then I would switch over to that, and then I would ride that all the way to the finish line. And I did that for three or four releases in a row, like the same installation, just kept doing it. And it worked okay, but what what, what really I ran into constantly is a lot of instructions assume a certain version of Ubuntu, and they're already having a hard time the instructions you find online it's you have a hard time finding anything that applies to the absolute latest version usually it's one or two releases behind and then you just add an extra layer of anomaly when you're running a rolling release that isn't even out yet and stuff is a different version and stuff's in a different spot so for me i just i kept banging my head into that did you ever try this matt not with, no,
1: not not to, in that exact thing, but I have run into that when it comes to uh, documentation and things like that. It's oh, always sure. interesting to try and nail that down. So for me, it was always a little bit different.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I've thought about trying it again, actually, like with, uh, with the Fedora release. And I've, I tried it really briefly during our OpenSUSE 13.1 review. I switched over to their uh, rolling, and uh, it went fine, but I only did it for a few days. So <laughs> I kind of I feel like the, if you're going to go rolling, you should go with the distro design to be rolling.
1: Well, that would be my thinking because otherwise you're essentially doing a workaround. I mean, so if Ubuntu really wants to make their distro the very best it can be, they need to address the PPA problem. The existing management tools for PPAs is pretty craptacular. It's not that great. PPAs as, as an idea are great. Unfortunately, you know what happens when one goes down? There's no system in place to alert people. Hey, by the way, this is dead. Uh, you yeah. know, there's oh, or yeah, put yeah. out an alert that something's
0: going to be done. And this is something also, the Mint you know, project has addressed, but it's not in Ubuntu proper.
1: No, it's not, and and so I think that's something that they need to really look at because I don't see them as really needing to go rolling release because it's not their target goal. But I do think that they need to address having more bleeding edge packages when it comes to, to stuff like OpenShot, Firefox, uh, various software mm-hmm. titles. I think that would really help out the back-end stuff like lib this and lib that. You know that that's 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 neither here nor there. That's obviously a PPA kind of thing, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they work it out, but it's something that they're not addressing, and I think they're going to have to here eventually. Hopefully,
0: or maybe click yeah. packages will save us all.
1: That would be. That would be a long way. <laughs> hey, you remember uh, click? You know, with I do. The K.
0: I, I do. I do. I do remember clicking. That was, was not horrible. <laughs> I, I also remember clicking and running, as it were. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, old joke there for you old. <laughs> lindos uh lindos fans you
1: have Remember, to be you have to be apt to get that oh yeah. oh geez you oh. hey yeah. you know what i gotta do back before back
0: we in. uh before we make everybody tune out is i want to say thank you to ting.com who is <laughs> sponsoring this episode of linux unplugged ting is my mobile service provider and matt's mobile service provider Ish. why why it's easy no contracts no early termination fees and the thing that really keeps me around is ting is pay for what you use they don't have to worry about things like Uh, Or I don't have to worry about things like paying into a contract where I'm not using that fully. So previously, I had uh, two phones on a smartphone plan, $120 a month. Now I have two phones, both smartphones, an HTC One and a Nexus 5 on Ting, and I'm paying around $25, $30 a month. It depends. So what Ting does is they take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and they add those up at the end of the month. And whatever bucket you fall into, whatever actual usage you have, that's what you pay. It's it's brilliant. So some months I have 50 text messages. Some months I have 200 text messages. Why would I have to pay a thousand text message plan if I don't need it? It drives me crazy. And Ting solves all of that. Plus, Ting has devices that are fresh and hot right now. There's some carriers that don't even have like the HTC One yet. Ting right. has, is already supporting the Nexus 5. You can pick it up from the Google Play Store. You buy it directly from Google. You bring it over to the Ting network. Now you have a phone you fully own on a network that's paid for what you use with no contracts or no, or no early termination fees. Hotspot, tethering, built into your plan. You just pay for your data usage. It makes a ton of sense. So here's how you get started. You go to linux.ting.com. That's going to take $25 off your first device. Or if you've already got a Sprint-compatible device and you want to bring it over to Ting, just check to make sure it's compatible with the Ting network. And then they'll take $25 off your first month of service. That's a pretty awesome deal. And they've got a savings calculator. You can plug that in and see how much you'd save. And one of the things you'll notice when you're visiting the Ting site, go to linux.ting.com to get started, is they are an awesome company. They have their blog where they're posting they're very transparent about their business how they work about future advances they talk about rolling out triband LTE and what devices on the Ting network like my Nexus 5 support triband LTE right now and what the benefits of something like that are they often will pick some of the best apps some of my favorite ones on Android like BeyondPod they'll feature those on the blog there's a lot of great stuff over here that you can keep visiting and once you become a Ting customer you appreciate this level of information from your carrier and Ting has great customer service as well if you call Ting at eight. Five five eight four six four three eight nine. Anytime between eight a.m or eight p.m. Eastern, a real person will answer the phone and help you out. And you also have a fantastic dashboard that gives you the tools you need to control your own account. You'll probably be surprised at the kind of functionality you can get in there and how clear and easy a cell a cell phone company can make your billing and information like that. It's once you see this stuff you'll never be able to go back to anybody else. It's just their stuff. Ting's, Ting is so far ahead of everybody else. You got to check them out. So go to linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. I hear from people all the time who switched over to Ting and are totally thrilled. And you can be one of them. linux.ting.com. Thank you to Ting. Actually,
1: I have a recent ting story, real short one. Sure. Um, here, here recently, I had an uh, issue where I did something dumb on my phone, and I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. You know, I'd imagine that, right? Me do something foolish. Did something foolish, so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give these guys a call and see what's going on. Half a ring, not even a full ring. <laughs> I, a person that you know, actually is very well-spoken, very easy to understand. I get up on the phone, ask them a question. Within like, I don't know, three seconds, they gave me numbers to start pressing into my phone. Pressed it in, boom, problem solved. Fixed up. That was the end of the conversation. Ask me if uh, anything else. Happy holidays, blah, blah, blah. We're done. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Someone values their time. It's the way to go. Yeah, no kidding, you. right?
0: And if you if you just get sick of dealing with customer service reps oh. and we sound like they're reading a script, this is such Or they're a, trying to upsell you. God, that's my big pet here. You know, Mailholler in the chat room says that uh, he went from $100 a month to around $20 a month when he switched to Ting. Wow. Yeah. Nice. That's a nice savings. And with the beginning yeah. of the new year, it's better time than ever to get started. And I think you'll see why I've been so happy with my Ting Definitely. service. All I right, wish. so – I'm bringing in the mumble room here. I wanted to start, you know, one thing I realized after uh, this week's Linux Action Show, uh, I made a huge mistake. Get it out of here. I completely, Uh completely forgot to make a Wayland-type prediction. Uh And I know Ron's in the chat room here has a Wayland prediction as well, but I want to lay mine out, and then we'll turn it over to him. So, I think you're going to see in 2014, it's not, I don't know if competition is the right word, but if you're a distro out there, uh, Ubuntu isn't. In this camp. If you're a distro out there shipping this year, say the second round of releases in 2014, and you don't have decent, uh, some decent Wayland implementation that people can try out, even if it's sort of like what Fedora did this time around, that's going to be like um, a check mark in the anti column in the reviews. Like the people reviewing it will look at that and go, oh, well, you can't even play with Wayland in this release. Like that's, right. it's going to become like one of the competitive features for distributions to have in their, maybe not the first release of 2014 but their second release of 2014. Now, Ron's, I know you had, a Royns. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, I'm sure I'm not saying really? that right, but I know Rose. you had a Wayland prediction. What is it?
2: I believe that in maybe, as I said, the second term of releases um, in 2014, we're going to see possibly maybe Gen 2 or the more bleeding edge distros to have such good Wayland support, Um, maybe for Arch, the Arch build system, that it is simple as rebuilding the package with Wayland support and getting, of course, Gnome and KDE support Wayland. will have... So you don't have to run X client soon. It'll be pure Western Wayland.
0: So you think maybe, like, mid-2014, all of the Gnome packages on my Arch installation will update with Wayland support, and then at that point, all I have to do is go over to the Arch wiki, look at the article about switching over to Wayland, and make the switch, and I'm ready to go. Yeah. <clears throat> That's bold. So you're thinking I could actually run my whole desktop in 2014? You think like, what about like, what about like, uh, dra- graphics drivers?
2: Well, if you're on Intel, um, the Western Wayland drivers have already, um, sorted. Intel supports them. Um, what about,
3: apart- I was going to say, what about the Radeon drivers on the open source stuff?
2: Well, the open source drivers are, are, are of course going to adopt Wayland quicker than the proprietary ones, but it really. Maybe we could see the proprietary ones supporting MIA simply because Steam, um, they want to support Ubuntu, but the open source drivers, they want to support a standard, which is Wayland.
0: Alright, well, let me ask you guys this, because uh, Corgi in the chat room is saying that Wayland and i think he means in terms of performance will be better than x11 by december of 2014 i happen huh. to disagree i think at the i think in december 2014 we'll have the Pharonix benchmarks and they'll show that x still has on games the lead but it's closer
1: I would say it's closer, yeah. I mean, because you got to figure out what's X Men's, what, 30 years, something like that? I mean, you know, it's got a little bit of a head start. Right. There. And I
0: think all these games are going to be using some sort of, you know, X Wayland compatibility. And they're all going to be, I mean, for a long time, like years. So I just, I think like, like you'll see like, uh, I don't know, maybe you'll see like the window managers and, and the compositing, like all that kind of cleans up and is a lot faster but the stuff people actually use where they really need high performance like so window draws will be faster right that'll be great menus and and blurs and textures will be faster but like I, games that i install from steam will not actually see any big benefit from this in 2014
3: no. i have well, one uh i've got one Whalen prediction for 2014 and that is the monkey suit
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah no that's going to happen
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that's hanging up in the closet right now actually
4: mm-hmm. um, that's i will just be March. like to it-
2: I'd just like to expand on what you said. If you look at the way Wayland works, basically it's a protocol. Western is its implementation. So if you want your fancy window managers like um, Awesome to work in Wayland, you basically write a Western plugin for that. Right, right. Um, I imagine Gnome and KDE, Um, their compositors are Mutter and Kwin, mm-hmm. their window managers. That's basically just a plugin for Wayland um, or Western. That's all it is.
0: Right.
5: I right. think. Um, I think in 2014, you're going to see a lot more apps uh, adding Wayland support, and then in 2015, it's going to be refinement time, and then by 2016, and it's going to be refined, and you're going to start seeing a lot more people actually using Wayland so you, on distros. You,
0: so you think it's not till 2016 that we're going to have the sweet, sweet life of performance and optimizations and all that kind of stuff? Yeah,
5: because there's still a lot of apps and and, and applications that haven't. Uh, you know added the support for Wayland yet and i think that's going to be all all during 2014 and then in 2015 it's just going to be refining those packages and then 2016 it's 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 going to be refined it's going to be available and it's going to be easier to use than ever it's still going to have some flaws but it'll be it'll
1: be pretty good
0: All right, i think this one's pretty easy to make uh steam os doesn't go anywhere near wayland in 2014 all, yeah, eggs, yeah, all the time. Agree.
1: Yeah. yeah. Why would they? They have no reason to. Um their their goal is not to try and push Whalen, their goal is to get you to play video games. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, seems kind of obvious, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, go
1: ahead. Just
2: like the I don't I'm not um doubting anyone's um knowledge here, but porting Laps over to Wayland isn't as difficult as it sounds. If the toolkit supports Wayland, getting your programs on Wayland is not going to be too difficult. It's
1: just
5: a matter of doing it,
1: right? It'll depend on uh, a matter of motivation. Quite honestly, it'll it'll
0: depend too. Like so, stuff that like stuff that really only uses Qt or GTK to get you know what it needs on the screen, they're going to almost have the work done for them by by the upstream toolkit. But uh, you know, things like video games, that's not necessarily the same thing. Or or certain things like. I would think uh, Lightworks comes to mind, or Blender. I'm not quite sure what the situation is there. Or uh, anything that kind of has some customizations where they've either written their own toolkit or they've made changes to it. You know, those kind of apps I'm thinking about where they just don't quite look like any other Linux desktop app. I think those kinds of things will struggle in 2014 with Wayland. Yes.
2: Well, the game's... If OpenGL and SDL support Wayland and the game's written in SDL and OpenGL, chances are that game's going to be able to be ported over fairly simply.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I know that's what people say. (laughs) <laughs> well, and,
1: and I still come back to the everybody seems to think that developers are thinking oh goody we get to port something over something we didn't have to no. a month ago no one cares I mean I don't think no. they really give a <laughs> no. no but
3: because because
5: they're, they're just this... now porting everything over to yeah. Linux now and they're getting they're getting X support now and now they're going to have to switch yeah. to Wayland exactly. well, so they're, if they're I'm them angry. I'm going to take my sweet time if they do it yeah. right
0: and they write to the, the underlying subsystems like OpenGL and all that kind of stuff and then all you have to have is the change made at that level and then everything that uses that will then use the new technology but I, I think it's. I don't think it's as clear cut as that with some of this yeah. stuff. And I, and I think the motivation period. is really the key issue. Every you know,
1: end users are looking forward to this. Developers are thinking, God, I just got this working. Leave me alone. <laughs>
3: now, here, here's my big hope mm-hmm. for Wayland. It's not really a prediction, but I really hope that if it, they do eventually get proprietary drivers, that a new version of Wayland doesn't necessarily break the proprietary uh, driver yeah, like I it don't did in Xorg. So,
0: because you know, th- th- this is a you know, because what they're going to have is protocol level support right so if you write to this version of the protocol you get this and then they just have a new version of the protocol which gives you the new features they shouldn't have to deprecate the old version i wouldn't think but you know i look at this and during the last live stream on sunday we played this intel video and the whole time in the whole video intel's talking about wayland And, and it's a very nice sort of like infograph meets youtube and and really what they what they care about is digital signs infotainment in cars, um, mobile devices. In fact, the Linux desktop in this video, all about Wayland, is not even mentioned once. Not a single desktop app, not anything about the Linux desktop at all. And so what what that to me means is the corporate backing isn't going to be on the desktop side of things. There's not going to be a lot of people spending a lot of money on moving over desktop applications to support that. So that two things that means to me is X wayland is going to be around for a long time. That's pretty (laughs) obvious. But the second thing that that... I think unfortunately means is, maybe unfortunately or not, is all our hopes are in the toolkits, the QT guys and the GTK guys and what they do. And and all hopes depend on them to do it right because they're going to bring everything along with them that uses those toolkits. And And I
5: think, oh, sorry, Uh, I I think the, uh, the proprietary drivers, you're probably going to see like an alpha release for proprietary drivers and... 2015, I'd say, because these guys aren't really going to jump on the bandwagon so quick. I mean, these companies, they're really slow. Intel uh, might,
1: right?
0: (laughs) I mean, Intel might, but yeah. Yeah.
1: If they can see a clear-cut benefit, absolutely, they'll jump all over it. Otherwise, they don't care.
0: I just, I mean, I've been burned so many times by Wayland predictions. Like, if you go back over the years, a few years in a row, I've made Wayland predictions that just didn't pan out, but... I kind of feel like this is the year that it does, and I, it's almost the more dangerous thing to say—famous last words. But I like, it just—it feels like things are more serious this time. There's more money behind it. There's more momentum, and there's more of a recognized need too. I be predict predicting about.
4: We're, I predict that we're going to keep predicting about Wayland for another three or four years.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. What do you guys <laughs> think about Mirror?
0: Yeah, we should, we should probably talk about Mirror a little bit, huh? We should, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um,
5: what do you yeah. think about that island out there in the sea? Well, so now that we look at it,
0: I think it's pretty clear that Mir is an Ubuntu-specific solution. Because just like we mentioned how QT and GTK and others will be building in uh, uh, the, the back-end support to move over to Wayland, Unity will have the back-end hooks to talk to Mir. And if you don't have something written to talk to Mir, you're not going to run on top of Mir unless you do it through XMirror. True. Uh, and so it's going to be it's it's all it's almost hard to compare the two because Mir's only going to be on Ubuntu, and we know we're not really going to see much of it in 2014.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're gonna. I think it's probably going to keep pace with. I mean, to a degree, with only Ubuntu specific monkey suits happening either way. But I think it's in an Ubuntu specific sort of way. I think that it's going to be kind of like an upstart versus System D situation, to where they kind of run in tandem. Uh, they're you know so. running alongside of each other, and everybody's kind of doing their own thing. But mm-hmm. I don't see explosive they're activity. Not, they're almost not in...
0: You know, now that I look at it, after, after we've had a few months, actually half half the year to, to sort of think about it, um, it's not in competition with Wayland. Wayland is on its own track. It has its... You know, it's a wider industry proposition. Yep. Mir's actual specific success is if it achieves exactly or even barely what they need for Ubuntu. And if it accomplishes that, it is technically successful. Because... It's not a Wayland competitor. Wayland is a solution for all of Linux and for multiple types of devices. Mir is a solution for Ubuntu. So
5: basically, um, Microsoft is going to get less and less attention over the... Over the year of twenty fourteen and canonical is gonna become more like Microsoft.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's Google's job. Oh
1: yeah, no, I, no, no, that it's gonna
0: be Google this, Google that. I mean even
1: I mean it's gonna be Chromebooks and Android devices and the tech news for the next for two thousand fourteen is gonna dominate it. Just watch.
0: All right. Well I got a couple I'm, of predictions along that line. Um specifically uh like the mobile stuff. So is there any other thoughts on Mirror Wayland before we move to another? Well,
2: I was going to say um I'm kind of wondering if with there being uh, Xmir and Wayland, whether developers won't just stick with uh, X, support with X yeah. so their uh, applications can work on both. So we will have those better solutions, but not applications that actually t- uh, right. take advantage yeah. of yeah, them. Our desktop that. Will,
0: yeah, our desktop environments will, will speak directly to the display server and all the applications we run on top of them will be using an X11 compatibility thing.
5: It's going to be a long time, guys.
0: Yeah, no, none of this happens. You're going to have to hold a stick up to see any of it move. I wouldn't but what, worry about I it. I think what you might start to see, if we're really lucky at the end of 2014, we'll see that the x the X Wayland stuff and the X-Mir stuff is able to take advantage of so many efficiencies by replacing the display server underneath mm-hmm. that maybe performance will be equal or even better, right? I mean, that would be awesome, is if we have such efficiencies in new code design and, and you know, because everybody knows XORG is such a beast – That if by totally getting rid of all of that plumbing and having a cleaner pipeline that goes directly from the desktop to the display driver to the kernel to the hardware, et cetera, et cetera, that that whole path is much more efficient. So, therefore, even though you're running something through emulation, just like we've all seen sometimes when you run a wine game Mm -hmm. under Linux, it actually performs better than it does under Windows in certain circumstances. Maybe we'll see that same kind of thing happen with stuff running under X emulation on these new display servers. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get to our next category of predictions, I got a little i got a little prediction for all of you guys. This is going to be uh, actually. This is—I'm not even kidding. Uh, this is really going to be the year where we all continue to build out our own cloud, and that's why I'm so happy that DigitalOcean is a sponsor of Linux Unplugged because this is. They are going to enable this for a lot of us. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. And you get root access to this thing when they spin this up. Now, check this out. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds and pricing plans start at only $5 per month, which gets you 512 megs of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, and a terabyte of transfer. You think about how you, all the different types of devices you can put Linux on. When you put a Linux box out there with 512 megs of RAM and a 20 gig SSD, that thing can, as a server... It, you will be amazed at the performance you can get out of a Linux box in these conditions. I've got a box up there right now that's doing all kinds of back-end. Kind of, I, I, uh, frequently, I have it uh, recording a second backup copy of our live stream in case we have uh, an outage. I have it distributing files for the Unfilter Show. Gigabytes. Um, gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of files now, like 20 gigabytes worth of files. Good uh, that are Yeah, that it's, it's constantly sending out and distributing to our, our Unfilter supporters i uh, I have all kinds of different tasks that I can spin up on it really quick and when you have when you're paying five dollars a month. There's so many great advantages of productivity and testing and and just experimentation and training and self-learning that $5 is just an insane value. And DigitalOcean has data centers in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam, so you can distribute it out as you want. I've picked New York. That way I have something on the other side of the coast. Their interface is simple. They have an intuitive control panel. Power users can even set up and replicate it on their own by using their straightforward API. And DigitalOcean also offers a vast collection of tutorials in their community section on their site, and users who submit articles... And get fifty dollars per published piece. Here's a great here's a great article. This uh, hit our Linux Action Show subreddit this week. How to create a Beowulf cluster using Ubuntu 1204 VPS instances on DigitalOcean. <laughs> oh nice! <laughs> a Beowulf cluster, man. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah, I mean, so, they
1: really they really went there.
0: Okay, that's awesome. I know. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> it, re- it really is, right? I mean, I'm pretty impressed by that. Uh, and yeah, I don't know, I don't know if I'd be using that, but the For the training aspect of it, it's actually kind of a great opportunity. The way uh, DigitalOcean pricing works is, so so for $5, you get $5 a month, you get a quantified cost, you get a machine you can always access. But if you just want to do some basic testing, they also offer hourly pricing. So if you're working on an open source project or, I mean, gosh, maybe it's closed source. It's
3: negative in the freedom dimension. You
0: could upload it to DigitalOcean, use the hourly pricing, and have people all over the world bang on it for a while, give you real world performance reports. You don't have to worry about configuring your firewall. Look at look at these prices. I mean, it's unbeatable what you can do. And the great thing is, is their, their control panel is so nice. You can like what I've done. I have an Arch server. Yes, I said Arch, set up on DigitalOcean, and I image that sucker. And when I want to deploy another one, I can just redeploy that image. It's ready to go. It's super quick. You combine that with pay as you go pricing, <clears throat> that's going to be really easy. So here's how you get started. Go over to digitalocean.com. Check out what we've been talking about. And if you have a bad memory, just go to any recent episode of Linux Unplugged. Go down to the show notes. We have a banner right there for Digital Ocean. And if you use our promo code December, Now, it's going to work for a little bit longer, but take advantage of while you can. Linux Unplugged December, You'll get a $10 credit. That'll let you try out the $5 server for two months, or you can get the $10 server for one month. I've been using the $5 server for a few months now. And pff, it's awesome. It's great. I really like it. So go to DigitalOcean.com, Linux Unplug December to get that $10 credit, and uh, I think you're going to be really impressed. This is really an awesome service, and it, the performance has been great. I just updated my Archbox last night, and I just sit there and I watch those download speeds as it writes those transactions to the SSD, and I was like, oh,
1: gosh, yes. Well, and here's something I've, you know, I could uh, see someone uh, using it for, too. It's like, let's say you have an Arch install, and you're thinking, oh, you know, I, I want to actually try... I read read mixed signals in this one package, and I'm not really sure if it's going to build right. I don't really want to hose my system, but I want just kind of a test bed to test out different packages that maybe have an iffy history. It's a great place to do that kind of stuff. You don't have to be super geeky with it. You can use it as a tool just to try things out where you don't want to do it on your main computer.
0: And the snapshots make it easy to roll back. Pirate Ghost. Yeah. Pirate Ghost in our chat room, which is a great name, says, I have 11 VPSs on DigitalOcean. Nice. How about that, huh? Uh, they uh, they also are uh, pretty cool about, he says, helping him with uh, working on uh, open source projects.
6: That's cool. Yeah.
0: So big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Okay, yeah. so I, I, this is kind of a spinoff of the uh, of the prediction I made on Sunday, but I want to revisit this in light of a story that came out, and I didn't cover it in last because it didn't really seem, at the time I when I thought about it at first, it didn't seem Linux-specific enough to me to talk about it on the Linux Action mm-hmm. Show. But now that I think about the larger ramifications of this story, I actually think it's very much going to become a Linux story. And <clears throat> what I'm talking about is these uh, recent uh, publish, uh, published reports uh, from Der Spiegel that the NSA is intercepting laptops and other hardware like routers and firewalls purchased online. And they can intercept the package when it leaves the company you buy it from, say Dell. And they will install malware, in some cases hardware, in some cases software, to do whatever they whatever the hell they want. Uh, the report indicates also, <clears throat> by the way, some of the companies included in this. Let me see, I'll, I'll find it right here. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, Dell's in there. Uh, Shocker! Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, Western Digital, Seagate, Juniper Networks, Maxor, Samsung, Hawaii, and uh, Microsoft are included in companies that they that, uh, in this report uh, that says they worked with. The report even indicates the NSA can even exploit air reports from Microsoft Windows operating systems by intercepting the air reports and determining what is wrong with the target's computer, and then the NSA can attack it with Trojans or other malware. It's uh,
1: just so sleazy.
0: To gain physical access, the NSA reportedly worked with the CIA and the FBI on sensitive missions that sometimes included flying NSA agents on FBI jets to plant wiretaps. This gets them to their destination at the right time so they can help disappear again undetected after even as little as a half hour's work, the report notes. So what you have here is machines. And here's a here's an example of what they call a hardware implant. Uh, one of the products the NSA appears to use compromises Target's computers, codenamed Cottonmouth. And it's uh, been available since 2009. It's a USB hardware implant that secretly provides the NSA with remote access to the compromised machine. Some of these, like you format the machine, you know, you wipe the master boot record, you delete the partition table. Some of these actually will reinstall themselves after you wipe. Now, everything appears to be sort of targeting Windows. And, uh, you know, you look at a lot of this stuff, and it's once again, it's requiring either cooperation with the manufacturer or the fact... They can take advantage of zero-day exploits or whatever it is. And I I read this and I think, you know, these NSA leaks, in 2014, what we'll see is security becoming a sexy feature that companies are going to compete on. And Linux and open source will inherently be better suited to meet an increased demand there. And I think specifically... You're going to see a lot of new secure chat programs, file transfers will explode, you know, secure file transfers is going to explode in 2014. We're going to have a pick of our litter, and some of them will be closed source, but a lot of them, because what's going to happen is first you'll have a first round of stuff that's closed source. I and mean, you've already seen a few of these new chat programs that have come out that have been closed source, and the first thing everybody now says is, well, it's not open source, how can I trust it? Right. Everybody's saying that now. So the next the next competitive step people are going to have to make in order to check that box off and be competitive is they're going to have to go open source. So as a result of trying to chase these sexy features they can sell to consumers, they'll they'll open source the software so that way they can say, well, here's the software. It's open source. Pay us for the service.
1: So, I mean, here's the bigger thing that I see exploding with that, because all these things are great. And we're, you know, as unless you know how to audit code, and I sure as hell don't, you know, it, open source, closed source, that's awesome. But even if it starts out open source, you get it on your system that's perhaps already infected with something you don't know. So you've taken, <laughs> yeah. You've yeah. taken benign software on an infected system that's got some weird hardware hack thing going on. Yeah. Here, here's what I see being successful. Someone opens up a consultant, a consultant firm that will actually audit your hardware, <laughs> that's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. I want to see someone that actually that you know people can vet that can actually see what they're doing to fi- and actually have a success record to look at. You know, I, I think that's probably the only real defense against this because you know you can oh, they oh, otherwise it's just you know peanuts and beer at that point, you know, peanuts make you thirsty you're going to have more beer or uh, the security industry with the uh, you know the firewall programs and the various uh, security programs you in see But you do have the it, advantage I, just, I don't I'm not buying it. You have
0: yeah. the advantage like what happened with the I mean, I see what you're saying there. Like you and I would not really be able to check it. Uh, but you, know. you have, like, you have the example of the TrueKit project where enough in the community could get together and say, you know what, we're going to audit this as a community.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's it's great coming down to your computer. But, but what if, yeah. and again, look how, I mean, I hate to be paranoid, but look what's already happening. What if you have a, a, a setup on your computer you're not aware of that takes a benign program that's completely safe right. and makes it unsafe on your computer? So this is it becomes I, a mood issue.
0: So this is, know? I mean, this is more of a threat, I think, oh. with Windows. I think, yeah. and oh, I, yeah. so what you have to do is you just, you have to kind of make, you have to make best best efforts, you know, right. your best rational effort that you can make. And so the first thing is if you're really paranoid about security... Yeah, stop it, using Windows. You do. You, you seriously kind of have to consider, well, if I really care about this, I should probably stop using Windows. doesn't guarantee that some Linux box won't have something on there that is monitoring you and maybe... I mean Windows this, is low-hanging fruit,
1: certainly. Wouldn't it?
0: You know, what would really be scary is like if some distro by default shipped it so that everything you typed into the launcher was sent over the network that somebody could capture. That would almost be like insecure (laughs) right out of the box and be really freaky. And if that ever got popular, it would be a heyday for the NSA. But as long as nothing like that happens...
1: Yeah, it I think at fun. this point Linux is definitely low-hanging for – or Windows is low-hanging for it. And I think Linux is probably generally pretty safe at this at this point. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that embedded programs
4: and things might not be an issue later on. Mumble – uh, go ahead, create Run. A hard Create a hardware test. Call it the Snowden test. <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, you plug it in and it runs a Snowden audit.
4: <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> a little humming sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
5: I think we just all need to learn how to build our own computers and make processors.
1: Oh, jeez. Absolutely. I mean, I've got my, I got my I got my clean room ready, and I got my suit. So I'll get right on that. You know.
2: Well, it, maybe open source <laughs> hardware will become a more popular thing because of the because you can maybe. audit the hardware.
0: What about like the, something that sits you on your network fine. and is watching your machine? What about that? Would be the most like effective at the firewall drive. level. Like this yeah. firewall includes packet inspection, where we'll yeah. will alert you if it looks like exactly. something's leaking from your computer.
4: That would make well, the most sense to, to me because the yeah, anti-NSA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> AT-NSA.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it could be a could be a marketing opportunity for PF Sense.
4: Uh, I mean,
1: at the end of the day, as uh, Heaven's Revenge points out in the chat room, and this completely spot on. If someone wants to do something badly enough, they're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's just right. what it is. All you can do is minimize that damage by that's, using Linux. That, that's da- right.
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's where I go back to. You just have to make the rational yeah. compromise. So you Absolutely. can't, you can't go tinfoil hat. You can't install a Faraday cage in your house. But what you can do can't. is, you, <laughs> we could. <laughs> but again, there's like a diminishing returns, right? But you mm-hmm. could, but what you could do is use Linux, use an open-source email program, use open hardware if you can. Uh, And I think that just, that base fact will drive human behavior towards open-source and Linux. Not like... I don't know if it's going to be some sort of mass hysteria, but when you have decision makers, people who are designing systems for businesses that need to be secure, uh, CEOs who are paranoid about corporate espionage and things right. like this, because all these things the NSA is doing, some private company could do as well. And in true. fact, in some cases, we, now have, we have now documented evidence that the NSA has weakened industry standards to make their job easier and other attackers could just take advantage of those weaknesses too. Hello, RSA. Right so it's one of these things where because the vulnerability exists it's not just the NSA that can take advantage of it so there's like all of these reasons that just stack up and the rational person that really is concerned about this would have to I mean I think the decision you come to is some sort of open source system maybe right. it's not linux maybe it's bsd exactly I but i think the NSA uses no.
5: git for their uh, for their for their software that exploits people
0: it's probably all cvs <laughs> <laughs> yeah right
1: <laughs> Microsoft Bob.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anybody else have any NSA-related uh, predictions in the uh, in the chat room?
2: I just want to say that you don't want to put tinfoil on your head because it'll increase the signal. You want to put a wet towel. That's all I got to say.
0: Good to know. Right. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, all right. Well, any other predictions, chat room. I'm I'm opening up the floor now. If yeah. We, go ahead.
7: I've got a prediction about canonical.
0: Oh, okay. Let's do it.
7: Yeah, and oh. that is that. I think by the end of next year. Canonical might announce that they're gonna make their own kernel,
0: so not a fork. That
7: is optimized for mirror. Not a... it could be a fork, but I think that they're gonna feel like they don't they can't control Linux and they want something that is custom tailored to their needs.
0: So they'll have yeah, the Ubuntu kernel that's like a snapshot of like the the semi latest kernel that that was out at the time they make this decision. Yes, Can true, I exactly. interject? Yeah,
2: if Popey was here, he would add the yes. Yes. Canonical. Yes, <laughs> Well, I, I'm sure he's going to add that Ubuntu has no intentions or never will modify... Hold spy. on. What if
0: we took our kernel and we, we connected it to our display server and then connected it to our Upstart init system and then we uh, just called it all one thing, the Ubuntu um, base? Well, can, I,
6: can I interject? So, so I think, um, first of all, you need to clarify what Bitpuffin Puffin was suggesting because what I heard Bitpuffin Puffin say and what Chris said were two different things. Yeah, no, I was just joking.
4: <laughs> yeah, I I heard it. it sounds like he's trying to like say that, that Canonical is going turn Ubuntu into their own system completely. I just, yeah, I can't
7: see I, it. I it's
0: too much. It's well, too much well I think they would
7: still like try to maintain some kind of Linux compatibility. But don't they like have do XMER But but,
0: but Bitpuff, and don't they have the best of both worlds right now? They get one of the best kernels out there developed by a different team, and then they can pick the version they want to run, and they can run that version for as long as they want to run it, and you know do whatever patches they need to do to keep it secure. Uh, and so they can kind of do that now without having... That's a- exactly what we do. Yeah.
1: We, yeah. we already <laughs> take a kernel,
6: and then we apply patches so, to it, that and seems like our but, kernel. But seems see that, like
1: path least resistance, yeah.
0: So I, I guess, Bitpuffin, for your prediction to, to work, you'd have to have some sort of decision the kernel team was making that was inherently incompatible with Ubuntu's goals.
7: Yeah, something like that, but also that they realized that Linux is a huge train that they really don't have any control over. And if they want to add their own stuff, they're going to have to fork and stuff. But then they can realize that Linux is like, it covers so many stuff that they don't really need. And bending Linux to be the way that they would maybe need it to be huh. would require it to... Uh, the herd kernel. A lot of more work, basically.
1: Yeah, I, I don't so think So maybe it would feel yeah. better
7: to start from scratch and
5: implement things that ways that benefit them. I don't think that they can make a kernel that yeah. anywhere anywhere compares I, to Linux yeah. kernel. Maybe yeah, they could license like,
0: the Microsoft kernel. 2014, Canonical yeah. <laughs> signs license agreement with Microsoft. <laughs> I, I think you're kind of, yeah, It's kind of going like a React
1: OS uh, type of I, uh, thing. So, so th- we're going to see what? Ubuntu NT edition?
6: I would say, say what, if
2: anyone is going to fork uh, Linux, it's going to be the Mint guys because they just like forking stuff.
6: No, it's going to be Google. This, this, this just strikes me. And I, I hear this a lot, you know. No, anyone who said this on IRC and who yeah. says this on podcast, this is your, you know, shock for you. You're not the first person to suggest <laughs> this. Um, I hear this a lot, and it seems to be the natural exaggeration of, oh well, Canonical will fork X next, or whatever X might be, and it's just the natural most exaggerated, most ridiculous thing you can possibly suggest. You know, it's the it's the it's
7: the
4: fork. I think Canonical is Canonical is gonna is gonna fork Atari, sure.
0: I think <laughs> now, now, now I want it to happen. Now that now that we've recorded all of this, and then Bitpuff yeah, to, to emerge right. totally victorious. I uh, think it just comes down to practicality, yeah. too. It's just yeah, like, it's it's just more beneficial not to. Um, yeah, and uh, you Adaptist know, adapt as need be. Because
6: if you well, look, everything else has already been done. You know, there, there's already a fork of Firefox in Debian. Uh, there's already you know a fork of OpenOffice as LibreOffice. Yeah, yeah, everything's already been done. So the one thing left to do that the only company that's so ridiculously outrageous that would do it must be canonical. (laughs) (laughs) Well I think that they
7: provide an experience which is like you know when they write the display server they kind of write it so that Unity works well with mirror and mirror works well with Unity. Mm -hmm. I would think that they would want to do something similar with like the core system kernel stuff
4: too well the so other so the other direction kind of would be
0: is you could take this so the Apple rationale was well so you could you could look at it from, from the Mac OS 10 standpoint they built their own display server they built their own kernel and then they have a BSD user land tools um, and so you're you that's the extension of what you're saying is you'd have canonical builds the Ubuntu desktop they build the display server and then they have a Linux user land tool base but it's a it's a it's a yeah. Ubuntu kernel um, yeah I just don't see that not in 2014. No I,
1: no, I, I well,
6: not no, I at think, all. I don't think oh, right, an maybe the year after, yeah. yeah. maybe
1: a couple yeah. of years, maybe twenty twenty. <laughs> <Now laughs> I see Mark Shuttleworth in a Buck Rogers thing twirling through space. Right, I mean it's going to be something like that. No, it, it just practically doesn't make any sense.
5: The, the way, the, the reason that I think they that they see. would never do that is because, um, I mean, they're not extremely rich. They're not billionaires. I mean, you you have to take if you're going to make your own kernel, you have to really make sure everything works exactly like the Linux kernel was working before on Ubuntu and they just I don't think they have the resources
1: plus well, man well, I, would imagine, them forking, I would imagine Linux
5: forking. I would imagine them forking the GNU
3: them. user land before they fork the kernel right? I mean look yeah. at Android
0: and what and why fork? yeah I can see that. why fork I that down deep, that. deep you know yeah yeah if anybody's if I just give Popey an idea if anybody's gonna fork <laughs> no but seriously if anybody's <laughs> gonna fork the Linux kernel it would be it would be Google for Android right
1: yeah they and they could Probably pull it off, but even they, even they aren't doing it necessarily. I mean, they they are using certain things from it without going that deep into it. They only fork what they have to.
0: Well, they don't want to make Linus swear at them. I think yeah, exactly. What yeah. They, uh, well, that they don't have to. Yeah. All right. If, loves um, the Linux kernel. Last call for 2014 um, predictions. Anybody have? Any? Uh,
4: sure. Um, if I may restate Ant's predictions for Ubuntu. Um, uh, no companies will use Ubuntu in one and a half years.
0: Ubuntu in general will be dead in two years. What? <laughs> Whoa! Based on
4: this, is like, this, I, like, is, what this is not
6: his. This is not right. his, not his yeah. predictions. Let me. Oh, oh an there an You know, I'm I not think it would to... probably be more accurate to say that these were the drunken ramblings of Hank, which they could well be the drunken ramblings of anyone.
0: Yeah, there you go. These podcasts not are probably the drunken ramblings of us.
3: Anything <laughs> negative regarding Ubuntu, but I am going to say that. In the year 2014, OpenSUSE is probably going to get even more popular than it did in 2013.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah, I know. It is. I,
1: Ubuntu is going to be more popular in 2014 than it was in this previous year. Which they're, I all, they're,
0: all, they're all going to be more popular. Yeah. yeah. Look, I the, think at
5: the end of the day, when I load Linux on someone's computer that doesn't know Linux yet, uh, I load Ubuntu on there, no matter how I feel about it, because it's going to be easier for them.
4: Yeah. Woohoo! So, I, uh,
5: <laughs>
1: got a woohoo of approval there.
4: <laughs> I predict that uh, Amazon is going to get tired of everybody using their affiliate system, so they're going to make their own distro, make their own browsers, and their own search engine. <laughs>
6: Brilliant.
4: Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. nice. Uh, I have, uh, I have hey, a haven't they edu- got
6: their own distro on their Amazon Kindle Fire and their own affiliate yeah. revenue yeah. system there? Technically, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. I didn't think of it that way. Mm. Now, here's a good they're question. they Android fork, so
3: technically, What yeah. was different between the, your affiliate system and the way it's integrated into the Dash?
0: Product placement, because they're actually advertising Uh, products, yeah, and not just shop here. So, okay, last call for predictions before...
4: uh, I got one real quick. Uh, In in education, Linux has always been really big, but I think it's going to become even bigger with things like the Pi and the Chromebook Mm -hmm. becoming uh, so cheap that schools realize that the contracts they have with Microsoft are are ridiculous and move move from uh, proprietary to open source software.
0: Yeah, I think schools well, have a lot they're also just reinvesting in existing hardware. There's a lot there's yeah. As XP goes away, that's gonna be big for schools.
6: Oh
3: yeah, um, well, and it, especially businesses too. When XP goes away, where are they going to go with their uh, with their custom software? Why not have somebody develop custom software for them on Linux rather than upgrading that to Windows Seven or? 8? I would,
4: I would bet they're yeah. going to stay on XP until they have a massive just fallout yeah. from all kinds of nice, uh, all kinds of horrible things that they're going to be attacked. Because there's a lot of things that, if you notice. Um, there's been some studies that said the the, the the hackers or the virus writers are waiting for the thing for those to drop oh, yeah. support so they can attack massively. Yeah. So by about though, next year is when they'll realize. If they I was change. if
0: I was if I put my you know contracting hat on, I could already picture a client that's asking me to mitigate the risk and not migrate the OS. So they'll say, yep. "Do what you can, firewall it, lock it Back, down, right. protect it. Let's monitor it, put an antivirus on there, and we'll run yep. the risk because it's in our LAN and we're just going to keep it." until it mm-hmm. dies. And I can see that happening. So it's not going to be 2014 won't be like this boom everybody switch from XP. It's going to be a slow thing that picks up momentum in 2014. But I do think we're going to get lots
1: of uh, blaster blasterworm like uh, alerts in the paper and things like that, you know, we're going to I am sure you guys remember that blasterworm thing that happened. Mm-hmm. That's actually what my name is
6: based on. Really? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. You know,
1: do and the, the patch was released the whole time. That's what blew my mind. It was out there the Don't. whole time and just no one applied it. It's just like really. Yeah.
5: Don't banks Jeez. and stuff have like custom software that they use uh, for uh, on Windows XP that they're probably afraid to migrate to Windows Seven because yeah. it's got to be, but, but, you know but, it's got to be changed. But
0: before it was on XP, it was on SCO boxes. Like so, they've right. they've had to move it before. This is this has happened to them before. It'll happen again. Um, and in some ways, you could make the argument: Hey, if you move to Linux, this is just an orga- This is just an organic beast that'll just continue to exist. It doesn't come to an end. Like some of these other products do, mm-hmm. um, it makes
5: me kind of afraid that they're good, that some of these banks might stay on XP. They will. Uh, oh yeah, bank. there's
1: banks on they 2000K. Will. I mean, I'm seriously, I, at least that I've seen. At least uh, as soon as a year ago, anyway. a few years yeah. ago, I would walk yeah.
0: into a Bank of America and they would have Mac pluses from yeah. the 80s um, with <laughs> text terminals. You know, is so they yeah they'll that was just the ATM. You know. Yeah, that was, it was only a few. It wasn't it wasn't recent, but it was a few years yeah. ago.
2: Um I'd just like to add a little bit we said about education um getting Linux from my experience getting um Linux in the door for education is is quite difficult simply because n- there's not enough people who know about Linux to supply classes and stuff like that and I'm-
1: uh, Canada actually would prove that wrong. I mean, it's based on the Canadians that I've known and the and Canadians I've worked with, and also just reading news articles on it, it seems like various uh, provinces in Canada uh, have actually had a lot of success. Yeah, I think it uh,
0: depends on a local a local company uh, who can right? work okay. with the school district. You know, it, yeah. it, it depends where. If you have yeah. some, if you, it, if you have a school district who has some big fatty IT contract with some company who sucks right. off Microsoft's tit, they're going to come in there and they're going to sell more Microsoft software. But you know, you get some local guy who maybe can help do some you know, uh, IT development with the school district if they don't have a strong in-house IT, and they well, like Linux, it could happen. They could well, start I, an, I went edgy a,
2: I went to a school who, um the admins were very into Linux, and they run Linux and all the servers, anything that wasn't a desktop, and the only reason they wouldn't run it on the desktop is because teachers want their software, they don't right. want to use LibreOffice or GIMP, and for right. the purposes of teaching photo editing or Word processing, LibreOffice and GIMP are perfectly fine solutions. Mm-hmm. You don't need mm-hmm.
0: Photoshop. But Microsoft's going to solve that problem for us, though. But with Windows 8, the, it the, you don't have your own... I mean, you do, technically, but the UI is going to continue to change so much. And, you know, these Metro applications are not not up to snuff. They're not what people want. They're not Photoshop. They're not... You know, they're not full replacements yet. So there's gonna, that's going to help with that a little bit. When, when you're faced with that stark of a change anyways, then it's still a lot of change to switch to Linux, but you're already dealing with so much change that it's not a huge, huge leap, I would I think. I
3: think another what we're going to see coming up is we saw some of this until 2013, but I think GNOME 3 is going to even further just find its place as a desktop environment in 2014.
0: I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. I could see it well, being a good year for GNOME.
1: Well, and I think schools will continue to do stuff. I mean like you have ITALC uh, for classroom work, uh, Moodle, which if you apply a theme to it, it's actually not too terrible. Um, by out-of-the-box Moodle is just painful to look at. I get that. It's painful to use too. I've actually run it a few times. But um, yeah, I think the tools are out there for schools. It's just, it just takes time and it takes financial motivation sometimes.
0: Yeah, so. yeah, and it, yeah, there's a lot of things at play. So before we jump out of the mumble room, is it 2014 for anybody in here yet? I know it is for aviator continuity in our chat room right now. It's been there for seven hours. He's been in 2014.
7: Uh, uh, we are in
2: 2014. Uh, about but uh, how? Our
0: oh, well, congratulations, oh, wow. welcome, uh, and hello from the past. Uh, Poppy only has an hour left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought bit. I thought Bit Puffin was gonna. It was gonna cross over during the show, but I can't remember. Yeah, he did.
6: He did. He did uh, five minutes ago. So. Ah,
0: yay! Well, happy 2014, Bit. Okay, guys. Well, uh, before we go, I got to read a little email, so I'm going to uh, uh, get to that right now. It uh, came from Tim, and he's calling us out, Matt. No, we we get Uh-oh. this, we get these Uh-oh. from time to time. Last time <laughs> it was about Debbie, and this time it's yeah. about Slackware. He says, "I okay. rarely hear you guys mention Slackware. I've been a Slackware yeah. user for many years, and would love to see you guys do a Slackware challenge. I have a lot of people tuned uh, turned off by the fact that Slackware package manager does not even handle dependencies. But I would like to think that you guys, uh, as Arch users, would realize that there's a benefit to knowing exactly what is on your system because you installed it. These days, building and finding Slackware packages is is as easy as ever with slackbuilds.org and sbopkg.org. He says most of Slackware's team keeps an up-to-date repository of commonly used pre-built packages, and he gives a wiki link to that. As a Linux user, Slackware user, supporter, and a huge fan of your shows, I'd just like to see you guys give it some love, skis. Now, we did give it the uh, love spotlight on last during our OpenSUSE review. Yes. Um. So you know, uh, here's the thing about Slackware, Matt, is uh, when we make these switches, these challenges, like I have to straight up use these for, <laughs> for right,
1: a while. <laughs> right. Well, and here's the thing: he mentioned a couple tools I know. There, I've never really. I, I played with Gentoo a little bit, okay, you know, portage, whatever. But it's Slackware I've never had a reason to. Yeah. Now the tools yeah. he mentioned specifically regarding that, because he lost me at dependency stuff. I have I, I will literally gargle glass shards <laughs> before I chase down dependencies. It's two thousand fourteen kids. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Arch doesn't make me chase down that stuff. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It's it's providing an effective experience for me. I don't use it because it's geeky. I use it because I'm lazy and it appeals to me. So that's okay. You know?
0: There uh, is a little bit of that. That is part of my yeah. motivation to using Arch is I don't like tracking down this stuff mm. and everything I want in the repos. Um, I'm not totally opposed to trying Slack. We're probably not in the immediate future, but I I do kind of feel like – It's sort of like the thing I've just never really got into. And I need to give it a fair go. I've never had the motivation. I just, I can't. To the back of my. I'm, mind. I'm, l- I'm more likely to revisit Gentoo, honestly. Yeah. As I weird
1: as that sounds, because I mean, portage, I've I've done this. I mean, it's not like my ideal thing, but I can I can deal with it. Yeah. But I don't I don't really get my I don't really see the Slackware advantage. I guess is one. of Knowing what's in my stuff, I don't care. I love that I, it's I, there. I, you know, it's open it's open source. I'm gonna you know at some level the NSA is gonna do what they're gonna do whatever. Uh, I'm just not that concerned about it. I just I, want it to
0: work. I. I, I you know? The other thing, too, is, like, yeah. I understand, like, I do kind of see what you're saying, like, you know exactly what's on your system, but yeah. that, to me, also isn't a huge requirement in the sense of, like, you know, library bloat or anything like that, so... I I don't want to put it down because yeah. I, I, I respect anybody who chooses to use it. But for myself, it's never quite resonated. And I'm still going to give it some thought. I yeah. might try it like maybe in the summer. I might give it a I go. I mean if Arch burns me or something you know, or
1: whatever you know, variation of Arch I'm using happens to burn me or something, yeah, then I might have an interest in actually pursuing it. At this point, I, I need a motivation. For me, I was you know, burnt out on PPA. So I, I was just it was just time to try something new. OpenSUSE was cool. I had a lot of fun with that. And I wanted to roll into something new. But, but I'm kind of happy where I'm at. I, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't
0: know. Hmm. All right. Well, as we wrap, yeah. I, one, one thing I wanted to mention is I think it's going to be an awesome year for Qt, for yeah. Q- Q- um, Qt, and, and uh, I, I don't know what that'll mean for the GNOME desktop, and I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Would you, what do you think is, is Qt's success going to come at the cost of quality GTK applications on Linux? Because you know when I sit there and I use the GNOME desktop, one of the things that brings me back to KDE frequently is KWIN's awesome, for one. Yeah. And number two is I, I feel like QT is the way of the future and that slowly over the next couple of years, my favorite applications are going to be replaced with QT versions and I should just get on the KDE bandwagon now. So I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on that. That's my question for you out there in the audience. You can uh, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, pop the contact link, and leave your feedback. And here's the other question, and this one I really want you to give some thought. Does group think, or maybe call it management by consensus tamper open source innovation so does backlash to aggressive and sometimes new or risky ideas inhibit bold innovations sometimes in open source here's an example so debian cannot get off the pot about their init system they you know they can't just choose systemd even though choosing systemd by the de- by the data i can by the data i can tell would only impact 0.8% of their user base negatively. That would be the ones that have a BSD derivative and that's using voluntary stats. 0.8% of their user base would be affected by the switch to systemd, but the entire Linux ecosystem could be benefited by it, not just Debian. Yet they can't make the call because of this group debate, group think, management by consensus aspect that a lot of open source projects are driven by. So I want to get people to email in. You have any thoughts? Well, I,
1: here's the first thing that comes to mind, and it's adorable that people think Debian does anything quickly. I, I just find that just adorable. It, it's Debian. They're, they're you know, they're, they move at Debian pace. But why and is so, that?
0: Is that because of this groupthink, think management uh, it, by
1: consensus it's consortium? part of it. That's part of it. But also because of the fact that they don't, they, they are, they have what's working for them now. They'd like to take their time and really slog through everything at a snail's pace. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, that's just how they operate. I think
0: you could look at a lot of things in, in the open source development where you could see that the group debating really (laughs) trivial stuff really slowed stuff down. And then there's good examples where like somebody comes along and Lennart says, Boom, we're going to do System D. And then all of a sudden, right. there's a bunch of energy behind System D. Or Mark comes out and says, hey, you know what? We're going to build our own display server. And even though a lot of people can disagree, there is this declaration at the top, and the focus is made, the commitment is made, and the team gets to work. And and you, you, know, you can see this play out in some commercial companies like Apple, and then you have the other side where Microsoft, right, where they just can't seem to really execute because they have all this middle management. And I'm wondering right. if maybe the open source community suffers from a little bit middle management. You can't take it all out. But I want to know what the audience thinks. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, yeah. pop that contact link, choose Linux Unplugged from the dropdown, send us your feedback for next week's episode of Linux Unplugged, and we will read that during the top of the show next week on the show. Um, I think that'll be a good topic. I'm, I, it's just something I've been kicking around as I've been watching the SystemD stuff and Mirren, Wayland. I just, right. just put it out there, see what people think. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, uh, coming up on Sunday, I got, uh, I got kind of a surprise. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I got I got, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to announce it yet because I'm not sure if it's going to work out. So, we're going to cover okay. it if it works out. But I'll talk to you about it offline. Cool, uh, cool. So, we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can join us live. The uh, Linux Unplug show is live on the Tuesdays over at jblive.tv, 2 p.m. Pacific. Go to slash calendar to get that in your local neck of the woods. We'll convert it for you. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Matt, I'll see you on Sunday, okay? Sounds good. See you then. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. See you next Tuesday.